going to be in Genesis chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, that's where we're going to uh, start out. We're going to hop around a bit, and so you might take notes on where we're at. Uh, but that's where we're going to start. All right. Can we stand up together for the reading of God's word? Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. A passage we are all probably familiar with. It says this. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that, that you speak to us through it. And so, Lord, I pray in these few moments, God, that we would be humbled before it. That we would leave this place um, knowing you better, loving you better, and living our lives more like you. I pray, Lord, that as we dive into some scripture, God, that we would know that everything you tell us, everything you command us, is for our good and your glory. That's not meant to be a burden. That's meant to be a blessing. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, in case you didn't know what's been going on in my life, uh, I recently had a baby. Well, I mean, not me. I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby, and uh, it's our second one. His name is Judson, and he looks like this. Yeah, look at that little guy. You know, there's a lot of cute babies in the world, um, but I'm so sorry if you have a baby. It's, it's the third cutest baby in the world, if you had a baby, because I have two. Both of them are the cutest in the world. They're currently tied. Uh, well, it depends on the day. It depends on if they're obeying. If they're disobeying, they're not cute anymore. So we had Judson, and he is both a blessing and a nightmare, uh, depending on how he's feeling. But uh, without a doubt, the most frequent question I get about Judson is, how is Lottie dealing with him? Lottie is my other daughter. She's two and a half. And everyone wants to know how's Lottie handling Judson. And I am uh, pleased to uh, tell you uh, she's doing great. She is um, all about Judson. She calls him baby Judson. All about baby Judson. She wants to say goodnight to him. She wants to hold his hand. Like we play a game with Lottie, like, um, like a game where like I'll hold her. And then she goes through all the different parts on my face. She'll say like nose, like eyes, mouth. She does it quite aggressively. Um, and one of the first games she wanted to play with Judson is that game. So she goes, one of the first things she does, pinches his nose. She's trying to kill him. Like the first thing that she does. No. But man, she, uh, she's doing great with him. She wants to help a lot. And that scares me so much. Because if any of you know two-year-olds, two-year-olds, when they help, they actually hurt. Uh, like every time we go to sweep the house, Lottie goes and grabs her little play broom and she'll bring it out. And you would think that she'd help us sleep, sweep the floor. She's not interested in sweeping the floor. She's in, interested in sweeping us, uh, more particularly my face. And so she's just attacking us with a broom. Another thing she likes to uh, do, uh, she would see Randy loading the uh, washing machine 
And as uh, she's putting clothes in there, she's like, these clothes are dirty. And then sure enough, you know, later we see Lottie with the washing machine open throwing clothes and they're saying they're dirty. And that's when it dawned on me, oh my gosh, she's going to try to throw Judson in the washing machine if he's dirty. So if y'all know how to lock a washing machine, uh, let me know. Anyways. She's been great. Here's what I like about it, is that it has given us the opportunity to be able to walk Lottie through this new season of life where we get to explain to her what does a good big sister look like? What does it look like uh, to um, interact with people around you? And what responsibilities do you have to the people around you? How do you help them? How do you not hurt them? And that correlates beautifully with today's passage. If you uh, have grown up in church at all, you've probably heard of this passage. It's Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel were the first two people born after the fall with Adam and Eve. So, so we see a glimpse into what a society, what a first generation society looks like after the fall. And it's Cain and Abel. You likely know that Cain was a worker of the field and Abel was a, um, uh, grew animals or grew animals. He raised animals uh, and both of them brought an offering to the Lord. Abel's offering was pleasing and, and acceptable to God and Cain's offering was not. Well, Cain got incredibly furious about this and, um, and uh, God approached him and confronted him on that. And then that's where we land on our passage today. So let's actually take a look at that passage again. Uh, verse eight of chapter four, it says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Again, this is right after uh, they presented their offerings. God chastised uh, Cain about that. This is what happened next. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now that, that little question right there, am I my brother's keeper, might seem like, a, like something just to, to toss away. It's just a conversation, right? And while that is in the context of this actual conversation, this is actually a very deep question that I think all of us have to ask ourselves. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to care for and look out for the people around me. And here's what I'm gonna to present to you today and here's what I believe the Bible presents is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You do have a responsibility to look out for, to care for and to help the people around you, right? Here's why I think we get something wrong a little bit in Christian culture is we frame the gospel as solely being about us restoring our relationship with God. And like, don't get me wrong, that is the primary issue that the gospel addresses. Like we were, we have sinned from the fall, Adam and Eve sinned, and because they sinned, their, their relationship between God was torn, but the gospel is um, God sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take on our death, to take on our punishment, and because of that, our relationship can now be restored. Don't get me wrong, that is the primary issue of the gospel. But also tied within the gospel is not only our relationship with God being restored, but it's our relationship with each other being restored as well. And Adam and Eve, the first uh, relationship that we see severed is actually not God and Adam. It's actually Adam and Eve was the first relationship that we see severed. Adam and Eve, it describes them as being uh, naked and unashamed between each other. And then after they ate the fruit, what happened? Their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and they clothed themselves. 
where before they were completely open and unhindered between each other, they now had walls between each other. They now had to hide parts of themselves from each other. Not only our relationship with God was severed, but our relationship with people was severed from the fall. Jesus illustrates the gospel beautifully in this when the Pharisees came up to Jesus in the New Testament and they, they asked him, hey Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? What is the greatest one? He says this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he doesn't end there. Then he says, and here's the second one. They didn't ask for a second one, but he said, here's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus communicates, all of the law and all the prophets can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, restore your relationship with God. Restore your relationship with others. That's the gospel. We can't separate it out. And so the Bible, I believe, ever since this statement with Cain, where he says, am I my brother's keeper? I believe the Bible is answering that question and saying, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you do have a responsibility to care for the people around you. And so that's where we're gonna hop into today. We're gonna hop into this and we're gonna talk about how do we um, properly be our brother's keeper around us? What are some things that we have to deal with? What are some things that we can do to help that process? And how do we build community in our life to where we have people around us that don't just know the surface level about what's going on, that don't just know our Instagram feeds and our Facebook feeds, but they know the true deepest, darkest parts of our life, both the good and the bad, and they're still there. That's what we're talking about. That's what biblical community is about. And so what I want to get into today is three ways, three things you need to do to be your brother's keeper. Right, let's go ahead and dig into it. The first one is uh, actually not going to have anything to do with the people around you. It's going to have to do solely with yourself. And here's the good thing about it. The good thing is, is that um, no one can stop you from achieving this one right here. No one can stop you from achieving this point. Here's the bad thing. If you don't do this point, it's your fault, right? First point we're going to get into is you have to deal with your issues. We all have issues from our past, and if we leave those issues unresolved, they turn into baggage. And I say often, uh, we could have every single person in this room come up on stage and share horror stories about the atrocities that have happened to them in their life. Abuse, rejection, insecurities, whatever it is that's going on in your life, we all have things. And you know why? It's because we live in a simple world. We live in a simple world and a byproduct that is struggles and suffering. And we all have that. And whenever we don't actually deal with those things, you know what happens? It weighs on us. And what happens is when it weighs on us, we actually end up projecting that onto other people. And it'll project onto all your current relationships and all, all of your future relationships, things that happened 20 years ago. And that's what happened with Cain. Let's take a look at the passage. So here's a few verses before what we just read. So this is verse three of chapter four. This is explaining what exactly happened. So it says in verse three, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. I love that word, by the way. Find a way to sprinkle that word into your conversation this week. He looked despondent. What that means is he was upset. He's visibly upset. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, and you must rule over it. So a few verses just after this is what we read earlier. Cain kills Abel. Now you might ask yourself, why did Cain kill Abel? In, in what point in this situation did Cain do anything to Abel? He didn't. Like all, Cain, all Abel did was just bring his sacrifice to the Lord. Cain's issue wasn't with Abel. Cain's issue was with God. Cain's issue was with himself. But what did Abel do? Instead of dealing with those issues, he let it fester and then those issues projected onto Abel to the point that he killed Abel. Do you ever find yourself projecting your issues onto people? Like, do you ever find yourself, um, like you may be at home with your wife. So here's something. Uh, when me and my wife first moved in together, uh, we lived in Azelwood Apartments right over here. I don't know where that is. There is one studio apartment in that whole Azelwood Apartments. If you don't know what a studio apartment is, it's literally one room. That's what you get to live in, 400 square feet. That's where I lived, and we decided um, that we were uh, both going to live in that room uh, together. <laughs> when we first got married, uh, we had some debt, and we were like, let's pay off this debt. And so we, we, we suffered it out and lived in that apartment for six months while we paid off debt. And man, living in a 400-square-foot apartment with another person, um, uh, you learn a lot about yourself. I remember there was one day, is my wife in the room? Yeah, there she is, okay. Just making sure what I can say and what I can't say. Um, uh, <laughs> so I remember she was loading the dishwasher one time. And uh, how, okay, there's two types of dishwashers in the world. How many of you are the people that like, you are an organized dishwasher loader? Like everything has its place. Yep, how many of you, you just throw it in there, who cares? Like wherever it goes, wherever it goes. I am the first, my wife is the latter. And I remember she was doing the dishes. I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, you can't do that. <laughs> you have a bowl right here, a spoon right here. <laughs> what are you doing? And we were kind of getting into it. And then I thought to myself, why am I, why am I getting upset with her about washing the dishes? She's washing the dishes. Um, anyways, that's a small insight. And so I was thinking to myself, is this really about the dishes? Maybe is it something else? I don't know. The first year I moved to Azel, uh, I was over in uh, Chick-fil-A, kind of know where that is, the, the road that goes in front of Chick-fil-A. And uh, the road that goes into the Chick-fil-A parking lot, it's like you can go in this way, come in this way, or you can exit. So it's like a three-way kind of movement. I was on this side, there was a guy on this side, and then there was a car trying to get out. Well, I don't know what this car was doing, but it wasn't leaving. Uh, it was just hanging out right there. And there was a guy on the other side losing his mind. Like I could see him losing it. Like, like on a scale of one to 10, he was at anger level 15, right? And I, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, dude, I love Chicken Express just as much as the next guy, right? Like, like get in between me and Chicken Express and I'm gonna get frustrated too. But this seems unreasonable, right? This seems like an unhealthy amount of anger about your ability to get into Chicken Express. And, and what I remember thinking in that moment was, this guy's not mad about this. Whatever this guy's upset about, it's not this be it family issues, something else, stress of life, work issues, financial issues, whatever it is, it is funneling itself into this very moment onto the situation. Do you ever find yourself doing that? 
Do you ever find yourself getting unreasonably upset, unreasonably angry? Isn't it interesting how we, we tend to funnel all of our issues towards the people we most love? Isn't that such an odd thing? That's what Cain did here. Cain had all of his issues with God and with himself. He took all that anger, all that bitterness, all that resentment, all of those feelings of inadequacy, and he funneled it to Abel and killed him. And if we're not careful, we will take all of our past hurts, all of our trauma, all of our suffering, and we will funnel it into all of our current relationships and all of our future relationships, and they won't go anywhere. And you'll find yourself 20 years from now wondering, why do I still not have any deep relationships? It may be because there's issues that you haven't dealt with. Now, how do you deal with those issues? I don't know. I can't give you a simple answer. Complex past hurts aren't solved with simple answers. But I can tell you this, is that um, it's going to take a lot of forgiveness, a lot of healing from God. It's going to take a lot of confession of your sins to other people. James says, um, we confess our sins to one another for healing. So it's not only resolving your issues with God, but resolving your issues with others. It's going to be a lot of reminding yourself of the gospel that, that in the same way that Jesus came and died for your sins, he also came and died for the sins of the people who hurt you. It's going to be a lot of um, facing the sobering reality that in the same way that you can complain about the bitterness and the baggage because of what someone did to you, there is probably someone out there in this world who can complain about the bitterness and the baggage because of what you did to them. We need to work through our issues. Because if we don't work through our issues, we're going to find ourselves funneling them into our relationships and we'll never be able to build any relationships. We'll never be able to be a brother's keeper because you're not going to have a brother there to keep. That's the first one. Second one, uh, we're going to get into actually engaging in relationships. And so let's take a poll real quick. How many of you would say that you're an extroverted person? Very few people in the room. That's fine, yeah. So you're the kind of person, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like, just like, you were very excited to say that you were an extrovert person. It kind of took me off guard. That's how you know someone's an extrovert person because an introvert person, if I, let's try this. Raise your hand if you're an introverted person. You won't even raise your hand. That's how introverted you are. That's how you know. Okay. Extroverted people, you are the kind of people that you love meeting new people. You love social engagements. You love going to a group of people like you would, like the last thing you want to do is sit at home alone. You want to go out to lunch. You want to go out to coffee. You burden the rest of us, right? You people. (laughs) The rest of us, the other 99% of us, right? Us introverted people, we are socially awkward. (laughs) We, we don't like talking to people. We don't, um, and it's not, okay, maybe I should say, it's not that we don't like talking to people. It's just we don't know how to talk to people. It's like, like to, to tell me if this is a situation that you've had. You meet someone new, you start talking to them, and while you start talking to them, you say something stupid. Like, you don't know why you said it. You just said something stupid. And then they didn't say anything. You went on about your life. And then later on, it's like one in the morning, you're laying in bed, and you're replaying the conversation over in your mind. And... 
And through replaying the conversation in your mind, you've just convinced yourself that maybe you should just not talk to people. Like, maybe that's just your lot in life that you shouldn't talk to people. If you're an introvert person, you're with me. Here we go. It's not that we don't need relationships. It's not that we don't want relationships. It's that we just feel inadequate in relationships. We feel awkward in relationships. And that's where I want to land. Like, like, relationships are awkward. Can we all just agree? Relationships are awkward. It's hard to start new friendships. It's hard to start new relationships because you have to get through that awkward phase. And, and this is where I want to land on, on the second point. Second point is this. Push through that awkwardness into new friendships. Because if, if you're an introverted person, you will be so nervous about the awkwardness of a relationship that you will just stop pressing. And all of your friendships will be surface level friendships because you're not willing to push through that awkwardness. And I'll pose this, that in order for us to live out biblical community, as the Bible describes, in order for us to live out commands of the Bible, we have to be able to push through surface level friendships into deep friendships. Here's a couple examples. Here we go. Galatians 6.2 says this. It says, we got a phone. Is that you, Floor? It's not me. <laughs> You're looking at me all guilty-like. <laughs> Galatians 6.2 says this. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me ask you a question. How can you bear someone's burdens unless you have a deep enough relationship to know what the burdens are? Right? And let me push it even further. When it says burdens here, it's actually not talking about financial burdens. It's not talking about anything surface level like that. If you look at the broader context of this passage, it's actually talking about our transgressions, our sins in our life. Even more so, how are you going to be able to bear someone's burdens of sin in their life, the deep sin in their life, unless you know them, right? I usually don't go around and share the deepest, darkest sins of my life with the people I just met. And by the way, if you do that, that might be why you don't have friends. Okay, don't do that. We can't bear one another's burdens if we don't have a deep relationship. And we can't have a deep relationship if you don't push through the awkwardness. All right, another example. Ephesians 4.32 says this, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Question. How can you forgive someone if you're not in a deep enough relationship in, in the sense that they can then sin against you? These commands of God all have implied within them the, the implication that you are in a deep relationship with someone else, right? And so we have to push through the awkwardness of meeting new people so that way we can build these deep relationships. Now, if you're a socially awkward person, raise your hand. Just curious. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're a socially awkward person, here's a few practical ways to, to push through that awkwardness, right? One, first practical way, just do it. Like, it's going to be awkward. It's fine. Just do it. Stop listening to the voices in your head telling you that you can't do it. You can. Go do it. The more you do it, the easier it will get. One of the best things I've done for my life and my ministry was working at Best Buy. And here's why. My job every day for like six, eight hours a day was to go up and start conversations with people I did not know. For an introvert, that's terrifying. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. And all of a sudden you realize nothing's gonna happen. The world's not gonna end. I don't remember ever a time that I've seen a, uh, someone die because of an awkward conversation they had with a the person. You can do it. All right, 
So first practical way, just do it. Second, time is your friend. I hear people talk a lot about how the friendships that they made in high school and college were some of the best friendships they ever had. They're, they can't find people as good of friends as they did in high school and in college. You know why that is? It's because when you were in high school, they threw you in a room with hundreds of other people for eight hours a day, five days a week. What else are you gonna do? But just make friendships, right? It takes time. When you get thrown into the real world, let's take this church setting, for example, some of you may only see the other people for an hour a week, two hours a week, three hours a week. What, do you think it's just gonna happen like that? It's not, like, like you have to put time into it. You have to put effort into it. This is why we constantly are, are um, pushing people to small groups. Because if you rely on your um, interactions when you first walk into this room and your interactions as you exit this room to build community in your life, you will be doing it for years. But if you lock arms with a group of people and say, hey, I'm gonna meet with y'all every week. We're gonna talk, we're gonna dig into the Bible. We're gonna dig into um, what's going on in my life and what's going on in your life. Now you have the ability to build relationships in a much more efficient way. So time is your friend. Eventually, if you spend, the more time you spend talking to someone and being with a person, the more comfortable you're gonna get with them. And eventually that awkwardness is gonna wear off. And then number three, and this one might be the most important practical step for you awkward people out there. Make the first move. Make, <laughs> this one's a gosh, yeah. <laughs> Make the first move. If you spend your life waiting on someone to come welcome you, someone to come say hi to you, someone to come invite you to coffee, invite you to lunch, invite you to that one thing, you will spend your whole life waiting. Make the first move. And not only is that a good practical tip to, to building relationships in your life, it's a biblical one. First Peter 4.9 says this, says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. I think he was talking to the introverts here when he said without complaining. It's like, how many of you people, like if I was to say be hospitable to someone, the first thing you would say is like a complaint about that, right? Be hospitable to one another without complaining. The word hospitable there in Greek is the word, let's see if I can say it right, philoxenia. There's two root words to that. It's phileo, which means brotherly love, and xenia, which means stranger. The word literally means love the stranger. So what this is saying here, if you want to be hospitable to someone, if you want to love people you don't know well, what's a, what's a way you can do that? Make the first move. Go say hi to them. Go invite them to coffee. Go invite them to lunch. Is it awkward? Sure. But get through it. It's fine. So you want to make new friendships? Push through the awkwardness and develop, start developing deep community relationships in your life. All right, we could talk about that all day. So on being your brother's keeper, first, deal with your issues. Second, push through the awkwardness. And then the third thing to do is to seek to help, not to hurt. Seek to help, not to hurt. Now this one sounds obvious, but it blows my mind how much we fail at this one. Like, like of all the scriptures that God gives us concerning the relationships to other people, they're all from the mindset of you need to think of yourself less and elevate others more. You need to not think of relationships of what can I get out of a person. You need to think of your relationships of what can I pour into a person. All right. Philippians 2.4 says it this way. It says that, that do nothing out of uh, empty ambition or vain conceit, but in all humility, think of others as more than yourselves. 
Cain didn't do that. Between Cain and Abel, he didn't do that. What Cain thought about in that moment is what's gonna satisfy me? What's gonna appease my anger right now? And what that did is it pushed hurt out onto Abel, not help. Now, I asked the first service this question. Let me see if I can get any of you to confess. Has anyone ever killed someone? Gracie, you wanna raise your hand on that one? No, okay. Just checking. So <laughs> we've never killed anyone, right? So it, you might say to yourself, I'm not like Cain. I haven't killed someone, right? But just because you haven't killed someone doesn't mean that you might not be in a similar situation to Cain here, right? Clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson was talking about aggression. And he was talking about when aggression builds up in someone's life and is left unchecked, it starts to funnel itself into an action. And a lot of times that action is violence, right? So with Cain here, he had a lot of aggression and funneled itself into violence. But he said, if someone is not a violent person, that aggression won't funnel out into a violence, but the aggression is still there and the aggression has to go somewhere. So where does that aggression go? It goes into the social degradation of another person. Y'all know what another word for that is? Gossip. If your aggression doesn't come out in violence, it will come out likely in the form of gossip. And while a lot of us are not killers, a lot of us are gossipers. While a lot of us won't strike a person to the face, we will talk about a person behind their back. And if one of the goals and one of the ways that we can be our brother's keeper is to seek to help each other, not to hurt each other, if you are gossiping, you are hurting, not helping. You are not helping a situation by gossiping. You are hurting a situation by gossiping. You are not helping a person by gossiping. You are hurting a person by gossiping. Even if what they said is true, you are still hurting a person by gossiping about it. Now at this point, you might interject and you say, you might respond to me in a couple of ways. And, and this is what I've heard. Um, I remember, well, well, let me say, this is something you might have heard. It's not gossip if it's the truth. Have you ever heard that? I remember I walked in um, on some people talking and they were, man, just destroying this political figure. Like, man, just awful things being said about this political figure. I won't tell you who it is. I'll let you insert whoever you want. Um, and, and one person said, hey, we should probably stop talking about this. This isn't a you know, nice thing to say. And they say, it's the truth. Since when is it okay to talk about someone behind their back just because it's true, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, like just because something is true doesn't give you the right to spread it around. Like that's still gossip. Here, here's another one. It's not gossip because I would say this to their face. Have you ever heard that? It's not gossip because I would say this to their face. Why is it that because you would say something awful to someone's face, make it okay to say something awful behind their back? You ever thought about that? Like, no, let, 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 let me just point this. Biblically speaking, there are no cases in which you should first go spread rumors or gossip or even true things about someone behind their back before you would ever go talk to them in person. Matthew 18, 15 says this. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice it doesn't say between you and him and whoever you can talk to before that point. Notice it doesn't say between you and him and then, oh, like also, you know, I'll post it on Facebook. 
as long as I don't mention the person's name, it's okay, right? Like, no, it says between you and him alone. Here is the only um, time that it is okay for you to talk about a situation that you have with another person behind their back is if this doesn't work. Now, this is not free, free um, you know, reign for you to go talk about them just because you said it to their face. Here's what it is, is this pastor says, you go talk to him between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. After this, it says, if that doesn't work, here's what you do. You grab a couple of other people and then you go talk to him again. And if that doesn't work, you expand out the circle a little bit more all the way until you get out to the church, right? So you should only be talking to people about other people with whom they can aid to the solution, right? So if you ever come up to me and you have a problem with a person, likely the first thing I'm gonna tell you to do is go talk to the person. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll say, how about I come with you and we can talk to them. You know what usually happens? They usually don't do that because we'd rather go around and complain about it to other people than actually dealing with the issue in front of us. And if you're a person who is really seeking to help your brother, then you would go talk to your brother. But man, Lord, forgive us whenever we are more concerned with juicy gossip and rumors than we are about the well-being of a person's soul. Man, we need to repent of that. There is something deep and dark in us that we're more entertained by gossip than we are about caring for the livelihood of people. Because gossip can ruin people's lives. I'm sure you've seen it happen. Proverbs 26, 20 says this. It says, without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. Here's what you can do. Let's say people come up and talk to you and gossip to you. Or let's say that you're a gossiper you want to know the quickest way to resolve a conflict? Stop talking about it. You want to know the quickest way to resolve a conflict? Either go talk to the person you're in conflict with or get over it. Biblically speaking, those are your two options. Wow, this got really heavy really quick. Okay. Man, I'll tell you, gossip frustrates me. Here, here's why gossip frustrates me. is because the same people that gossip about people behind their backs are the same people who put on a facade that they actually care for that person. Man, don't do it. Our goal is to hurt, or sorry, our goal is to help, not to hurt, no matter what situation they've gotten themselves into, no matter what they've done to you. And Jesus illustrates this beautifully. Towards the end of Jesus' uh, ministry, he tells his disciples in John, he says, um, no greater love than a person has than this, that he would lay down his life for his brother. And you know what Jesus did after that? He went and laid down his life. If anyone had the perfect excuse to say, this is not my problem, this person got themselves into this mess, they can get themselves out of this mess. If anyone had that excuse, it was Jesus. But he didn't do that. Instead, while he should have been in heaven, Surrounded by glory, he emptied himself out, came down to this earth, rubbed elbows with sinners, and died the death that we deserved. All to say, hey man, I'm right there with you. Hey man, you got yourself in this situation, I'm going to help you get out of that situation. All to say, hey, even though this isn't my problem, you're my responsibility. 
And so when Cain asks the question, am I my brother's keeper? I believe the Bible resoundingly says, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, I thank you, God, that you love us and that you care for us. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us right now. That Lord, when there are times in our lives that we take joy in the failures of others and spread it around. Lord, may we repent of that. Lord, when we are more concerned with ourselves than we are with caring for people, God, may we repent of that. Lord, I pray for for people in here who have had atrocious things happen to them in their life. God, that you would heal them of that. Whether or not they got abused 30 years ago, whether or not they felt left out as kids. Whatever it may be, whatever suffering they've experienced, Lord, I just pray that you would heal them of it and that they can work through it so that way they can not allow those things to do any more damage to their life than it already has. I pray, Lord, that you would put a burden on our heart to live life with other people. The first thing you said that wasn't good was that man was alone. And so Lord, I pray that we don't have to live alone, but we find people to live with. We're gonna move into a time of invitation and really this time is is just for you. However God is challenging you, convicting you, encouraging you, we just want to give you a moment to respond. And so you may be a person that says, I do have hurts. And you just need to start praying about those hurts. We'd love to pray with you about it. You may be a person who haven't really given the effort needed to develop relationships in your health and your life. And and you just want prayer with that and you want guidance with that, man, we'd love to walk you through it. You may be a person that, that that does describe you where you have spent more time talking about people than you have spent caring for people. Man, I invite you to repent of that. That God wants all good things for your life and that's not one of them. That you can't build deep relationships on gossip. Can we all stand together? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And however God is calling you to respond, we just ask that you do that. Let's.